Welcome to the Center for New American Security's National Security Startups podcast series, hosted by Senior Fellow and Director of the Technology and National Security Program, Ben Fitzgerald. Welcome, everyone, to another installment of the CNAS National Security Startups podcast. We are joined today by Neil Sharoni. Welcome, Neil. Hello. Neil is the Senior Director for Strategy and Planning at BAE Systems. Uh, prior to her time at BAE, uh, she was a special assistant to the president for Homeland Security and a senior director for cyber and information sharing at the White House. And before that, she had the significant opportunity of helping stand up the Department of Homeland Security, working on the critical infrastructure, cyber and intelligence com- uh, components of that uh, new organization. So, Neil, with uh, all of that fantastic background and varied experiences, it's great to have you here. Um, I'd like to start just by looking at, at your current work at BAE. Right. So you are the Senior Director for Strategy and Planning. Could you explain to us what that is, what you do, and how you do it? Sure. Uh, basically, what it means is that I develop and evaluate our business strategy. So focused on the ways in which we grow as a business, both organically, meaning internal investment, and what we refer to as inorganic Um, most people could refer to that as just mergers and acquisitions. So how do I make sure that we continue to grow as a business and meet our customers' needs? And I spend a lot of my time actually focused on emerging technology. So as as part of that work, I assume that you're constantly trying to identify those different ways in which BAE can can grow. How do you go about making decisions on, on which of those methods, whether you want to pursue organic or inorganic growth? Right. Um, So there's no easy answer to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, If there was, I likely wouldn't have a job. Right, right. It's it's always important to find hard problems (laughs) and and have those be part of one's employment. Right. Um, But really, it's around looking at our capabilities and looking at the broader market around us, right? And kind of understanding what is it that we do really well? What Mm -hmm. is it that our customers need? What are the new problems that we face, that our customers face? Um, and how do we make sure that we're approaching these problems in a way that return shareholder value? Yes. Um, because at the end of the day, that's a key component of any business. Absolutely. Um, and so when we're looking at capabilities, one of the fir- first questions I always ask is, you know, how core is this to who we are and what we've done? Mm-hmm. So, for example, electronic warfare, that's our heritage. And so yeah. in that realm, it's usually an investment that's eternal. I mean, sorry, excuse me, internal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something where we know we can sustain our advantage, um, and it's core to who, to who we are and what we do. There are other um, activities where, say, we're going after a specific program, and we need a specific capability to fit that. Mm-hmm. And that's where we look at different ways of achieving that capability. Um, you know, people have a tendency to focus either on are you investing internally or are you going to buy something? Right. And to me, that means you've missed a whole part of the spectrum of how we approach this. Okay. Um, you know, we can do this any number of ways from a simple purchase order where we go to a small supplier and acquire that technology, um, a subcontractor relationship where we go together and on a project. Um, sometimes that's a little bit more of a subcontractor relationship. Sometimes it's more of a teammate relationship. Right. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and sometimes you go all the way to a joint venture or a JV mm-hmm. where, uh, you are invested in that company as well. And you have, um, shared goals. And then the last piece of the spectrum is really M and A. People tend to get there pretty quickly when they think about how yeah. you do investments, but I like to stop people and say there's multiple stops along that path before you get to an actual acquisition. Well, the M and A stuff sounds exciting, right? What do you do? M and A, the the reality and and the way you get, can create real value for for many organizations often lies in between. Right. So 
as as you're making those decisions, what is it that you're looking for in a potential partner, whether that's as a subcontractor, a teammate, for a joint venture, or in some cases for acquisition? So there's a lot of things we look for. Um, first, the technical capabilities, right? Mm-hmm. So in many cases, you are looking for capabilities that are not easy for you to uh, develop on your own or that um, you can't develop them quickly enough to meet a need that you have, right? So, mm-hmm. so number one, technical capabilities. Uh, number two, we tend to look at contractual performance, <laughs> right? Yeah, so yeah. how do they perform as a business? Yep. Um, seems pretty straightforward, and yet when you talk to folks, that's one of the last things they think yep. of when you say, I, I want to know how they're performing. Um, quality, right? So if you're going to partner with someone, you want to know that they have practices in pra- place to ensure the quality of what they're providing you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, mention financial returns, so mm-hmm. shareholder value. Yep. Um, a little bit around sharing of the company's values, mm-hmm. right? So um, is this company that we want to partner with similar to ours? Do they view uh, the things that are important to them? Are they the same things that are important to us? Mm-hmm. Um, business ethics being an example of that. Right. Um, we look at their existing relationships. Mm-hmm. So who are their key customers? Mm-hmm. What are those relationships with the customer? Yeah. Um, all those things factor in when you're trying to decide who to partner with. Um, and they're all things I think you would normally expect, right? The, I haven't listed anything that you'd go, wow, that's, that's right. surprising. Right. Although it's interesting just to get a sense of the things that um, are often overlooked as well. So uh, – in, in looking, in sort of talking through this, it, it's helpful to use examples as, as much as possible. Do, do you have an example that you could sort of share with us of an organization you have partnered with or acquired um, yep. to sort of talk through how that process worked? I will. But um, first, let me kind of share with you, we have a tendency when you're looking at acquisitions to approach them for multiple purposes, right? Mm-hmm. So it tends to be that the smaller companies are where we get a lot of that niche technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to look to the smaller companies for that type of needs. Um, when we look at larger companies, it's not only for their technical capabilities, but also how they complement us or broaden our market. Um, I will say this, and this might be shocking to you, we tend not to acquire simply for the sake of growing revenue. Right. Right. So if Mm -hmm. we do a large acquisition, it's not just to add on. It's truly our belief that together we would function as a better company than separate. And it's that synergy that we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, think of, you know, sometimes we acquire for that niche technology. Sometimes we acquire to be able to grow, whether in a specific customer area or specific capability area. Yeah. And it's an important distinction, especially when. Um, for, for many folks outside of defense industry, whether they're in government or, or other realms, the, the general uh, starting assumption is that like revenue and profit are the only things that, <laughs> that, that, that are important. And obviously they are important, but if that's all one is thinking about, you're missing strategic opportunities. You're missing a lot of strategic opportunities. Um, and so with that example, I'm going to use one that was around finding an itch capability for us. Okay. Um, and I think the best example is actually Signals Innovation Group, or SIG, mm-hmm. as we called it. Um, it was a 35-person company headquartered in Durham, North Carolina, so mm-hmm. right there in the middle of Research Triangle mm-hmm. area. Um, they had been working with us for about four years on um, Black Wolf, which was activity-based intelligence. Um, and so they had this really cool capability that allowed them, um, to track objects, uh, in video, um, and to analyze that ISR and multi-int source data 
Mm-hmm. And they had um, products that would allow you to look at that and fuse the data from disparate sources over time. Mm-hmm. So very niche technology, yep. very niche algorithms, um, but key to an area in which we spend a lot of time and effort. And they were currently a sub to us working on that work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew them. Uh-huh. We knew their capability. Yep. Um, we knew them. We knew their employees. We knew their culture. Um, and we knew it was a capability that we desired Mm -hmm. and we knew it was key to, um, expanding and moving forward with our customer. And so when we, um, looked at it, we said, yeah, we actually want to own this. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure this is part of our core technology. Um, and so we decided to move forward with an acquisition, um, you know, knowing that it was a cultural fit, I think helped them. And one yep. of the big fears you hear from small companies is we're a 35% company. We're going to get acquired by a defense firm and they're going to gobble us up. Right. 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 Um, and so we made a real commitment as we were going through that acquisition to make sure that that didn't occur. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's interesting to me as well, as, as you lay that out, that you'd, you'd worked with them for four years. So yeah. knowing them, that wasn't just, you'd done a couple of visits. That was so- a long-term partnership. And, and that also sort of hints at sort of uh, that spectrum that you laid out earlier that you can go up those steps one at a time potentially. Correct. That's very interesting. It, 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 kind of, it kind of goes without saying that acquisitions are tricky for everyone involved. Um, yes. Just be interested in sort of how you guys made that one work. Clearly, part of this was the pre-work in terms of working together, cultural fit, that kind of thing. But once you decided to do the acquisition, how did, how did you step through from that moment forward? I think – Acquisitions are challenging no matter what industry you're in, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think the defense industry adds some unique aspects to it. Just the amount of regulation and oversight that we have at mm-hmm. times can mm-hmm. make this a little bit trickier. For us, the integration is the key piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will tell you that for me personally, <laughs> it was an area of concern. Um, I, I came to BAE through an acquisition. So okay. I worked for a small tech startup mm-hmm. um, that was acquired by BAE. And so I had lived that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how it can be handled. And so making sure that we do it right for us is, is one of the most important processes of this. Um, you know, this may sound weird, but the, the most important piece of it is really the employees. Mm-hmm. You're, when you're buying a company, you're buying the employees. Mm-hmm. They are the intellectual property. They are the culture. And they're the reason that you find value in the company. Right, right, right. And, and I know that seems pretty straightforward. Um, but sometimes in the day-to-day kind of compliance piece of, of doing that integration, you lose sight of that. Yeah, and also you, you aren't doing it purely for altruistic reasons. There is a business case for doing the right thing in that, case, in that instance. Right, and you know, in the defense industry, you have individuals that have very unique skills. They have security clearances. They're highly sought after, and so it's key to make sure that you get them into the process early on um, and make sure they understand What's the rationale behind this acquisition? Why did you value them so much? Mm-hmm. Um, where do you see the business moving? Painting the future for them, um, getting them engaged early on, um, and making sure that it is a true merger, mm-hmm. right? And that you na- navigate that personnel piece pretty carefully. Um, so back to SIG, mm-hmm. how we make sure this happens. Um, we actually assigned a BAE person whose sole purpose was to help protect SIG in the acquisition. Okay. So they went yep. down, um, spent time with them as a company. It was someone who knew BAE's processes, our procedures, et cetera. And it was their job to sort of be the gatekeeper, mm-hmm. um, to help determine what things needed to happen right away 
and what things could wait a little while. Um, and his job was to keep our huge company from overwhelming the 35 employees that were there and their leadership. So Mm -hmm. the leadership could continue to run a business and deliver, uh, while we dealt with the back inside of making sure that they came, um, and got incorporated into our corporate processes. So they didn't have to worry about the new TPS report format training. I mean, Uh you know, it's one of those things where you have to do all those things, but you don't have to do them right away. Yes. And so making sure that you think through, um, logically how to approach it and you do it in a way which causes the least amount of disruption. Fantastic. So, um, you've mentioned shareholder value a couple of times in this conversation already. Um, I assume that SIG had, had shareholders. They may have been a a venture backed startup, I think. In Um, Okay. There you go. So I'd just be interested how investor expectations factored into the acquisition. One of the things that we've explored in this podcast series is the different um, valuations or methods of valuation between uh, defense industry and sort of West Coast acquirers. Um, <laughs> so just be interested in, in how that played out in this instance. So in this instance, um, you know, they had uh, Incutel backing. And so um, not surprisingly, having um, an organization who was committed to providing this type of capability to the warfighter and intelligence community meant that um, they saw BAE as a as a good partner for mm-hmm. the business. Um, obviously, as I mentioned, we had spent time with them for years, and so um, they, they knew um, a lot about us, just like we knew a lot about them. Um, you know, but at the, in general, I think shareholders are looking for a return on their investment, mm-hmm. um, and that you only get in a couple ways, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, either through an IPO or yep. through a strategic sale. Yes, and so. Um, it was pretty straightforward. I think they saw us as the right person to um, acquire their business, and you know we offered them something they considered fair. Okay, that'll work. The um, so moving on from the SIG case and into your your broader work, it seems like a, a big part of your work, in addition to um, assessing BAE's business strategy and continuing to evolve that, is mentoring the businesses that you're partnering with or have acquired. Um, so that they can make the most out of working with BAE. So I'd just be interested in, vol- interested in understanding what's involved in that mentoring. What is it that you do and what are the, what are the areas in which these startups tend to need uh, support? Okay. Um, well, I think it really depends on where the business has been. Right. So first of all, I'd say, yep. you know, if you approach it monolithically, you're missing a large part of, of how you can actually be helpful Absolutely. in mentoring. Absolutely. Right. Um, and so if they've spent a lot of time being solely commercially focused, we spend a lot of time helping them understand why should they find the defense market interesting, mm-hmm. right? Um, what are the government processes that get put into place that we can assist them with? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the oversight and regulations they're going to have to deal with? Um, we help them gain a better understanding of the DOD mission, mm-hmm. right? Uh, understanding how their end customer is likely to use their product. And right. sometimes this is really challenging them to think differently, especially in a commercial um, application to a defense application. That can, mm-hmm. that can be kind of a, a large translation. Um, regardless, we spend a lot of times on what I'll call their traditional items, yep. right? So business development, risk assessments, engineering. Um, but what may surprise you is we spend just as much time on what I would refer to as surprising areas, 
like helping them with manufacturing processes and mm -hmm. how do you refine that. Um, helping them understand some of the alternative manufacturing technologies that they may want to utilize. Um, we do a lot with open source software architectures. And so working with developers on how do you utilize that environment? How do you make everything open? Um, teaming with their lawyers on understanding the IP implications of that. Um, working with uh, small firms on agile development and technology development. And some of the things that to us are just part of our DNA. Yeah. Um, that aren't necessarily part of the DNA of a small startup. The uh, I, I had to pause for a minute because I'm so happy that you're talking about open source software. Um, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, that, 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 this podcast is not about open source software. We'll talk about other things. So um, you, you mentioned a, a, a very interesting point in, in there, which is something that we've been exploring for a while, which is why do why would uh, a small business, a startup, or or, or a, a, an, an otherwise commercial business find the defense market interesting. Um, I'd just be interested in in your take on that, and um, and sort of how how you make that case to them, and what the opportunities are. Um, so I think there's a couple of of points I would go to. Um, first, it's a massive market, right? Right. The right. DoD market is large. And it's constantly looking for innovation and new technologies, mm -hmm. right? So you, so you have a huge opportunity space. Um, it's also relatively stable. Mm -hmm. So although we've seen a decline in budgets from the highs, you know, we are starting to see growth again. Mm -hmm. And um, those our cycles tend to be longer, and so it allows you a bit more stability and structure. Mm -hmm. um, and having that predictable budget line or funding stream is key for small business. Yep. I mean, the ability to go to your investors and say, yes, this is a reoccurring revenue that I have based on, you know, my ability to um, move into this market. In many cases, it also gives you a different type of environment in which to test your product or your capability. Yep. Um, and in many cases, that's a really rugged environment. Mm -hmm. and when you think about how your product may be used... Um, in many cases, it's the ultimate test. That's right. Right? People joke about how you're putting it through obstacles to make sure the device or product or whatever withstands uh, wear and tear. I can think of no greater wear and tear than giving it to a warfighter and seeing how they use and abuse the technology when they're in field. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, partnering with a defense firm means in many cases we take care of the things that are really hard for a small, agile startup to do, mm. which is providing that structure that allows the compliance, that allows the regulatory uh, processes to work. And we can kind of be that interlocutor, that bridge between what they do and DOD. So that last point is really interesting. And just as a, sort of a follow-up question, to, to what extent are you able to provide sort of an, an administrative um, back-end support? And uh, sort of speaking a little bit from personal experience, when I was running a startup, we had spent so much time just learning our way through DCAA audits and ITAR and those kind of things. Right. Um, is that stuff that you sort of have out-of-the-box solutions where you can plug these guys in and they, they just don't have to worry about that anymore? How does that work? In many cases, yes. Oh, my goodness. I mean, it's part of, Why didn't I know? It's what we do, right? Yep. It, it's yep. how we live. It's how we breathe. It's core to our business model. Um, it's how we function day to day. Mm -hmm. And so the ability to help a small business through that process um, or to take care of that process for them when they're our partner, it is part of um, – it's what it's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's how we provide benefit to these small, agile companies. And so it's something to consider, 
you know, when you're looking for different types of markets to access is partnering with a large prime means they take care of many of those headaches for you. That's fantastic. So, um, thinking about things from, from the perspective of startups, the startups you advise, the startups you look at, what general advice do you have for them if they're looking to work with a large defense business like BAE? Okay. So a couple of things. One, be very specific and approach a large prime with a specific opportunity, um, contract or customer where that you would like to target and where mm-hmm. you believe a partner with ship with them can help. Mm-hmm. Um, it is much easier for me to put a small startup in touch with the right person when they come to me and say, we have this capability. We think this customer could use it in this way. Right. Mm-hmm, so that mm-hmm. specificity of, I want to go after this opportunity with you means, okay, then I can put you in the right spot with the right person to talk to. Um, and you don't get pushed around from person to person mm-hmm. inside a large company saying that's fantastic, but not really me. Let me talk, you know, point you to my colleagues. So, Approach a large prime with something very specific and think through that opportunity, mm-hmm. right? So um, where could your project or solution best be utilized or your capability? Um, do your research. So yeah. know a little bit about what the prime is known for. Um, people tend to talk about the defense primes, again, as kind of a monolith. Awesome. Right. Um, but we all have unique cultures and unique capabilities and things that we're known for. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you're approaching us with a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. around what it is we care about, what we pride ourselves on doing. Um, it, it, that will go a long way. Yeah. Um, and my last piece of advice is to get involved with some of the, um, organizations that are typical within the defense industry. So FCA and INSA, industry associations. And yes. so there's numerous industry associations, whether it's, you know, um, service specific associations. I just chose two that tend to be um, broader, yep. but spending some time with those associations can be really helpful for small businesses. And I, your first piece of advice is, is particularly noteworthy to me in that startups tend to, um, Come to come to introductions with their origin story and their vision, and also a great deal of flexibility. That's part of the value of a startup, right? What are you going to do next year? We can do almost anything. <laughs> um, certainly, that was my yes. my experience. Yes, uh, and and it's natural to think that that's your strength, and in many instances it is, but it's not necessarily the best way to to introduce oneself to to a prime. Right, I like that a lot. So, just taking a step back. Um, from that, you're in one of those great positions where you're in frequent contact with people from different worlds, DOD people, intelligence community people, defense industry, startups, venture capital. Um, and I'm guessing that you have to do a lot of translating between those communities. So I, I'd just be interested in, in your, your take on what some of the biggest disconnects are or cases where people think they're talking about the same thing, but they're not. How, how do you see all that? What are the common challenge areas? Uh, so I will say working with all those different communities is one of the things I love most about what I do. Yeah. Right. So um, think tanks, government, industry, academia, I get to talk to and interact with all of them. Um, and what I wasn't prepared for in this role was exactly that, the amount of translating that you do. Uh, you tend to think whatever environment you're in that you use these very common phrases and right. you know exactly what they mean. So, so does everyone else. Right. Um, and that is far from the case. I'll give you a couple examples. Um, so cyber right. means the cyber, very yes. different things uh-huh. to different people, mm-hmm. um, as does agile development. Right. Right. So what D 
DOD considers agile and what Silicon Valley and an academic consider agile yes. are slightly different things on that same scale. Yep. Um, what I've been surprised with is even standard business terms can mm. mean something slightly different. Um, for example, addressable market. Mm-hmm. So people use addressable market all the time. One of the first things I ask back is, okay, do you mean the total market space? Do you mean the market addressable to you today based on your capabilities? Mm-hmm. Do you mean the market that could be addressable to you if you had some additional capabilities? What, what specifically do you mean by that term? Yep, right? yep. Or um, pipeline, return on investment, all these things sound straightforward but have a slightly nuanced um, meaning. And so um, the one thing I have learned is that you cannot be um, over clear when you (laughs) you use these terms, right? right. right? And so um, if you are a startup and you're in one of these meetings, ask. So when a large prime says, you know, what's your addressable market? There's nothing wrong with coming back and saying, okay, so I think you're asking X, or to me, the addressable market is X, right? Right, right? So so clarify what you mean by that. Yep. Um, it doesn't give you a disadvantage to make sure you are actually talking about the same thing. And the last thing you would want to do is make assumptions and you both leave the meeting and you're talking about absolutely different things. Yeah. And then your numbers look crazy and people question the basis of the entire relationship. Or Correct. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and pipeline, that's key, right? Yeah. So when you talk about your pipeline, uh, be very precise on what you mean by that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, because you'll be held to that in the future. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, Neil, just sort of in, in closing and, and sort of reflecting a lot, a lot of our conversation, today has been uh, sort of how startups should think about uh, opportunities in, in defense or with defense industry. But I'd just be interested in your take on, on, on the opposite perspective. So startups are very much in fashion right now. That's the answer yeah. to all of our problems. Um, assuming that's actually part of part, partially true and that we're going to see this kind of collaboration for a while, what should defense industry do to, to adapt to better collaborate with startups or or to generate more value from those relationships? Um, I think you said that almost perfect, which is um, making sure we acknowledge the value that working with startups bring, Mm -hmm. right? I can't stress enough internally how much spending time with a startup Mm -hmm. changes and enhances what our engineers do. It's the, that innovation and that culture and the agile um, entrepreneurship that at times you just need a fresh and flush of that within your business, right? And so spending time, always a good thing. Mm -hmm. Making sure we value the startups that we work with um, and making sure we're partnering with them the right way. So I talked about all those different levels of partnership so that they maintain the key piece that brings the value to you. Mm. You never want to enter into a type of partnership, whichever that, that is, that destroys that piece. Um, that said, you know, there are real challenges. And so, um, you know, the defense industry can be a bridge, as I mentioned, between startups and the government. But um, ultimately, I think the government, if they're going to wind up um, continuing to, to desire working with small businesses and bringing that innovation in, um, are going to have to figure out how some of those regulatory requirements and contracting requirements are adjusted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't see this as, as something where 
um, government has to solve the problem or that small startups need to change or that the defense industry needs to change. I actually think this is one of those issues that it's a partnership and all mm-hmm. three pieces need to work to change to make this work. Yeah, absolutely. And the opportunities are there. Yes, absolutely. So that's a, that's a positive kind of feeling to, 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 to wrap things up on. Um, Neil, thanks for taking the time to, to, to talk with us and for providing that perspective and some really specific insights into um, how to, to make this collaboration work between these different types of organizations. Thank thanks, you. Thanks so much. To hear more from the National Security Startup Series, go to startups.cnas.org or search for CNAS on iTunes or SoundCloud.